a friendly wager, you are going to hunt Rios. I am going to be hunting Rios. We've got to have I, I, we got to have something along with some spurs or some who. who. Uh, but keep in mind, I'm taking a knife to a gun. Dude, gun, I'll so. I'll go apples to apples with you. I'll do it with a bow. <laughs> I'm even at I'm even at a disadvantage because we, dude. I'm telling you, it's just it's just no birds. My gosh, it's it's, okay. So you're at a disadvantage with no birds. I'm at a disadvantage of I've I've never been here. So what? I I don't know, man. We got what? What do we? What do we got to do here? What? I, I think we got to say uh, lunch on after lunch or dinner after I pick you up uh, at the right. airport. All right, and, we can do uh, that. Lo- longest spurs we'll do. What are we doing? Longest spurs. Uh, I, I think longest I spurs. Think, longest beard added together. You know, add the beard, add the spurs. Oh, you want to do and add the weight? Or, or you what? just are. Oh, so what you're talking about is you want to do a combined. You just want to do the NWTF score. You want you want to do score? Yeah, but I don't know how these. Texas birds compared to Kansas. I, so is weight of the bird an issue, or should we just do spurs and, and beard? See, that's the thing. Is we could do spurs and beard, because um, that's the thing. Is you know some of those birds that you, some of those birds in Texas, if you're picky, you can you you might come away with a with a smoker there. So, but um, <laughs> yeah, we can do that. We can do just you know total length of spurs plus the total length of the beard. Okay, perfect. I'll shoot a four bearded goblin. <laughs> you're like exactly. Exactly. It's got no spurs. It's like you're gonna have a Jake. It's a Jake with four beards. Ah, screw you. (laughs) Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we're gonna have a fun episode with Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. Chris, how you doing? Doing all right, my friend. How are you? Good. I've been getting requests almost daily to have Mr. Chris Rowe on the podcast, and uh, (laughs) so here we are. you know, we're sitting kind of mid-March, and uh, we're staring the Colorado uh, application deadline, April 4th, kind of in the face. And uh, I thought it'd be a great time to get you on with all the experience you have in Colorado uh, and all your archery elk hunting and, and, you know, all your knowledge in general with Colorado. So it's a it's a perfect time to get you on the podcast, but first and foremost... Um, you get any credit card hits on your card uh, from the Arizona draw that's just popped? Oh, of course not. No, I, I I just started applying not too long ago, so I don't have that many points. So, no, mine hasn't. I'm, I'm always kind of hoping out for that random draw, but uh, no, unfortunately, so far I haven't seen any indication that I got hit. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, me neither, so that's um, that's the way it goes. And, um, you know, I'm, I've got uh, New Mexico applications due here on the 22nd of March and was kind of waiting to see what Arizona did. And, uh, so I think a lot of people were, um, yeah, you know, yeah. surprising that Arizona hit the cards before New Mexico was due. But, uh, today we're going to talk about, um, Colorado kind of specifically elk and go over some of the top units in Colorado, Uh, talk about some of the mid-tier units, then talk about some of the -the over-the-counter units for archery elk. Um, And then uh, I'm going to have you explain what the hybrid draw is, and uh, we're just going to have a good time. Uh, Before we get to that, um, 
first tell me what's going on in Kansas uh, this spring. Uh, in my area, the, the news is just dry, dry, dry. I mean, we still have not had a drop of moisture. I don't know if some people, apparently it did not hit the national news very high, high, you know, high profile. But uh, last week we had historic wildfires uh, blow through. And I think the tally is over 600,000 acres burned from the panhandle of Oklahoma all the way up to literally just out our back door, just south of us here. I mean, just huge swaths of ground just just torched. I mean, it was high winds, 30-mile-an-hour-plus winds, and, I mean, people lost their entire, I mean, all their ranch land, their cattle, their all livestock, their barns, their hay. I mean, there, there's some people out here hurting, um, and that's just the people that lost it with the fires. And then some of us that are in this dry land farming, you know, belt of Kansas, boy, we're, you know, trying to do rain dances and prayers and fingers crossed and everything else because we need some moisture. My landowner or a couple of my landers that I work with, I mean, they, we, we put seed in the ground, uh, but you could literally dig probably a two to three foot hole and not come up with any moist soil it's just bone dry so we the seeds in the ground and we're just praying that we start getting some moisture and we get into a better moisture cycle but right now it's it's scary man it's dry that's too bad that's that's tough um i hate it to, i hate seeing that uh there's a lot of good people out there in that mid part of the country that uh, seems like it's feast or famine seems like it's you know if it's well, not it, tornadoes or or fire hail or, you know yeah. hail it's it, you know it's it's, it's crazy so well, and the, the relevant thing about it that people need to think about, either if you're coming out turkey hunting or if you're planning for, you know, deer, uh, for non-residents, deer is a draw, but that draw does not occur until April. So we've got some time to see how things shake out. But, you know, people really need to, if you're coming out and hunting public land, that's one thing. If you're going to come hunt walk-in access, okay, that's all private land, but it's it's open. But that private land is going to be largely agricultural based. And so you might need to get out here and scout a little bit and find out what that crop rotation is going to be because it's so dry. We have farmers that are changing what they're planning on planting. So, so there's some farmers that may have grown uh, a, a, a grain crop of some sort in the past. They may be converting their land over to cattle feed, which means... Okay, the turkeys aren't going to be there, and, and your whitetails and, and other deer may not be there. Uh, that's what we're seeing in my area. I mean, turkeys, the real grand turkeys, they will flock up and travel miles up and down these drainages. And so, depending on where you normally hunt, those birds may be miles from the properties you normally hunt on simply because the green crops and the crop rotation is such that that all the food is somewhere else. So, they people need to really start... Uh, coming out, focusing on their scouting, or at least picking up the phone and calling some of their landowners and just getting an idea of what's going on, just so they're ahead of the curve before they get out here and get disappointed. Yeah, for sure. That um, that 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 could be a huge thing to be kind of counting your chickens before they're hatched, so to speak, and then show up and everything's changed. And I know that yeah. you know from year to year things change, so it's it's important that people. Uh, look into that. Um, let's dive into Colorado. Uh, now you have your Arizona guides license and uh, are you 
planning to guide in Arizona uh, or are you just kind of on a wait and see depending if you get booked or not and then if if not does are you going to hunt Colorado or what's your personal plan yeah that's pretty much what it is right now as soon as you know I don't have anybody booked right now but uh, if people you know say somebody draws a tag and wants to come hunt with me or whatever then yeah let's talk and, and let's go do it so I'm on a on a kind of a hold pattern for my personal hunt but given the fact that the archery and most of the time I'm, I'm going to be guiding archery hunters in Arizona that's that's kind of what I prefer to do so because this year in Arizona the season starts later I have time on the front end because Colorado archery season starts that last Saturday of August and then runs four weeks from there. So this year we start early. I think it's like the August 26th or something like that. Yeah. So I've got time to hunt for myself early season, one, maybe two weeks. And then even if I get booked for Arizona, I'll still have time to get down to Arizona then and start rocking and rolling down there. So I'm still planning on doing my personal hunt. And I, you know, it'll at least probably be a week, but if depending on what happens with Arizona, I, I might push it for two weeks or so. Where do you stand in your draw cycle as far as um, points for yourself in Colorado? Um, I know you do a lot of over-the-counter hunts, but I mean, are you are you standing on a bunch of points or are you still building? Uh, no, I'm sitting at three points right now, which kind of puts me on the cusp of being able to draw maybe some of those what we what we might talk about here in a minute but those mid-tier units i uh i burned 12 points back in 2009 and hunted unit one had a great hunt killed a big bull and then built up about four points and then hunted uh, uh unit 49 mid-tier unit and now i'm just now to the point like i said I, i'm built back up to three points i'm right i've got about an 80 i'm looking at a couple units and i've got about now oh, 80 to 90 percent chance of drawing a couple so i'm kind of toying with some ideas on maybe trying to pull a mid-tier unit this year. If I don't draw, then I'm just going to go straight back to over-the-counter, but we'll see. We'll see. So let's um, let's dive into those top units, um, kind of talking specifically archery elk hunting in Colorado. You know, the ones that, that, that I'm familiar with, I've actually been in unit 61 and 76, but the one I hear about the most is unit 201. Kind of give me your top, what you would say, top tier units, um, and then give me a little bit of breakdown on each unit as far as location within the state and kind of the, you know, the general rule of thumb of, you know, how the how the hunt would be, what guys should expect. Okay. Uh, yeah, you're you're. Everybody talks about those Northwest Colorado units, and that'd be Unit One, Two, Two Hundred One, and Ten specifically. Those are gonna those are gonna pull. A bunch of points. It's going to take you a lot of points to draw those tags. The other grouping would be West Central, and that's Unit 40 and Unit 61. And then, you like you talked about, Unit 76 always hits the radar screen for people. Uh, people, for some reason, love Unit 76 and talk about 76. So those are the ones. Unit 1, 2, 201, 10, 40. 61 and 76 i think are the ones that always hit the the top of the everybody's radar screen and is, uh, is 201 just in your mind is it i mean is it arguable or is it just that much better than all of the units in in your opinion 
Ooh, I, you're asking. Okay, if you ask my opinion, I am not convinced that the legend of the Northwest holds much any more water than say some of these other units. Now, I, I, 76, uh, I, 76 always hits the top of people's radar screen. 76 does not produce the type of bulls that unit 2, 201, 10, unit 1 do. Okay, when you're talking the Northwest units, most people have in their mind, you know, 370 to 390 class bulls. That, that's, what they're, that's what they want to go after. And, it, and you can find those bulls in there. Now, there's a mix of both private and public up in that country. And just like anywhere else, a lot of times some of the better bulls are taken down on private because they help know exactly where they're safe most of the time. So, but yeah, every year up in that country, 201, 210, you, you know, especially on private property, you, you know, somebody's pulling a 380 high 390s bull out of there. So that's why it, it always, it, it, that's the place that's coveted the most. And if you draw, you know, say you get one of the governor's tags and you can use a rifle or whatever, 90% of the time, most of the guys that, and gals that draw those coveted governor's tags, they're, they're going up to that northwest area because it, it, in some cases it's very glassable. You can get out there, you can glass, you can cover country. Um, but yeah, there's, there's some really, really good bulls up in there. But... Same thing can be said for Unit 40. However, Unit 40, the vast majority, I think, of the best ground is going to be on private. Unit 40 has a chunk of national forest in there, and it's kind of a postage stamp. Yeah, there can be elk in there, and I know there have been years where people pull some 350-plus bulls out of the public ground. Typically, it's when it's got a real hot year, and, and those bulls are looking for cool shade because that um, public ground is, is higher elevation, darker timber stuff. But a lot of the good bulls in Unit 40 are going to come off of private. And then Unit 61, man, that it's known for its bugle fest. I mean, you, there's it's, it's legit. You can get into 330, 350-plus type bulls down in 61. You're going to have to hunt for them. Like, you know, I mean, it's, it's canyon country and thick oak brush country in places. And, I mean, you're going to have to get in there and weasel them out. But... But it's going to be a bugle fest. Same thing with up in the northwest. That, that's the other thing about these areas. They're managed for a higher bull-to-cow ratio. So a lot of times you, you're experiencing what you watch on TV. You know, it's a bugle fest. There's bulls screaming all night long. You can't sleep. You get up the next day and you're just chasing bugle after bugle after bugle after bugle. Now, with that said, I think it's very important that people understand that even though these units can produce these larger bulls and the, and the older age class animals, when I drew my tag, I drew unit one in 2009. When I talked to the game warden up there and I asked him, I said, well, so what's the, you know, what's the average bull that I should be looking at? You know, what, you know, what am I looking at? What's the average bull taken up here? He told me the average bull taken is a 280 class six by six. At that time, I burned 12 points as a resident and I, I looked at him, I said, are you kidding me? A 280 class 6x6 six six is the average bull. He said, yeah. Well, when you look at the people and, and the numbers of people drawing those tags, what you have to understand is for a lot of resident hunters, 
and and I think even probably for the case for a lot of non-residents, if you've hunted Colorado for years and you've hunted over-the-counter areas, and maybe your area, you know, you're hoping for a three by three, a four by four, or a small five by five. If if you're chasing year and a half old, maybe two and a half year old bulls, and that's all you ever come away with, you know, one or two, you know, one every two or three years. You draw one of these premium tags and you go up there and it's an absolute bugle fest. And the first bull that comes screaming into a call is a 280 class 6x6. Six six. That's the biggest bull you've probably ever laid eyes on. You're letting her rip. Oh my gosh. It, you, they can't, can't, and I don't blame them. I, I will shake anybody that draws that tag and kills the best bull of their life. I'll shake your hand. I mean, I, the opening day of my season, literally I had a bull bugling out the back of my camper all night long. I mean, he sounded like a monster. And first morning, I mean, he was cruising that ridge. I got up. I mean, he woke me up at like 4.30 in the morning. It's like an hour or more left, you know, before it's even day. I got out of like, I just I was like, I, I'm chasing this bull. And so I just got up, got dressed, got out there, stood in the pitch black and just listened to this thing go. And literally at the first cusp of even inkling of daylight, I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a couple calls and just get an eyeball. And I made a couple cow calls, and this thing comes smoking down the mountain and literally about ran me over. And he was. He was probably about a 280, maybe a 300 class six, just pretty symmetrical, just beautiful bull. I, I've killed bulls like that, so I've I've experienced that, and so I was able to look at him and go, no, he's not what I'm looking for. But let me tell you something. I, I'll tell you right now, I was looking hard. I mean, that bull come down that hill. I'm like, oh, this is gonna happen, you know. And he finally cleared some of the pinion juniper there, and I looked, and I was like, he's, ah, oh, dang it. No, and I, you know, of course, you're trying to make inches grow on their head, and and I just couldn't, and so I just let him go, but. You know, a lot of those guys, it's it's a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. And so people just shoot the, the best bull that they call in. That may be a 310 bull. Maybe it's a 320 bull, which is awesome. But for those people that are looking for a certain antler class, these particular units are the ones that people go to year, you know, go to religiously as far as these are the places that you need to go, you know, to find those giant, giant, giant bulls. If you had to rank your top three, like, you know, you could draw any of these top three, what would they be in what order? I'm going to say four. Um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll group four of them. And it, and it would it'd be one, two, two or one or ten. I think two or one. See, I'm biased with unit one. Unit one is tricky. Unit one. For our, tell me about tell me about each one where right. they're located and kind of what towns they're by and what they're not what by any makeup, town. <laughs> what, what what makeup of the unit? You know what, what what kind of country is it? All right, they're they're in the middle of nowhere. They are as far. I mean, they are they're out there. They're, you, you better bring when these are unit one is is especially most of your access is actually going to be coming in from Utah. So. It's a long way from anywhere, and it's a so Vernal, Utah, or Green River, or Dutch John, or what are we talking? Uh, about? I don't have a map in front of me, but I think it's Vernal. 
you're coming up and up button hooking around. It's the far, far, far northwest corner of Colorado. And so you're a long way from anything, and it's a rough unit. It will beat your truck up. So bring spare tires or put new tires on your vehicle. I mean, bring extra of everything because you are not close to anything up there. Same thing with 201 and 2. 2, you can at least, you're a little bit closer to Maybell. But Maybell is like about the size of your little finger. I mean, it's got a few resources, but not much. I blew out my truck wheel bearing and I had to get a flatbed tow truck from Craig three and a half hours away I think it was to, to tow it sucked so I mean you're you're in the middle of nowhere okay number one but unit one is bounded on the east side by some pretty significant river gorge and the dinosaur national monument which there's like yeah I, I, you don't even look across the fence at elk and dinosaur i mean they have like a zero tolerance of anybody even flirting with the edge of that national monument they don't allow any hunting in there and man if you kill an elk in two in any of the surrounding units and literally it jumps the fence and dies on the other side good luck getting permission to recover it seriously it it's ridiculous so the elk know that that is a sanctuary area. So on the east side on Unit 1, it's pretty rough. But then it's it's bounded on that east side by the river and then on the west side by the Utah boundary. And the bull that I killed, actually, I watched him walk out of Utah. Very mountainous, very rugged. Uh, it's lower elevation stuff, so it's very, very rocky. A lot of pinion juniper. Your upper slopes are going to have some spruce on it. But it's very rocky, very rough country. 201, you start getting in. I mean, it's still, you've got some steep stuff in there. You've got some mixed pines, uh, uh, pinion juniper. You've got some sagebrush, rolling hills. Same thing with Unit 2. Unit 2, you're starting to drop down a little bit. Start to get into some more of those flats. Unit 2 and 201. Now, Unit 1 has a good mix of public ground, which is National Forest, and then a bunch of private. On 201... I think you've got a good mix of private and national forest. But when you get down to Unit 2, you're going to have a mix of national forest, BLM, and a lot of checkerboard in Unit 2. So that's what makes it pretty tricky hunting because there's a lot of guys that will sit there, you know, early season or during the summer, they'll be glassing and they'll be scouting, and the elk are kind of scattered across the whole unit, both public and private. But within a couple days of vehicles driving around and people calling and running around, those elk know where those private boundaries are, and they jump that fence. And then the other thing, too, about that is if it gets dry, some of the natural water holes in those units can dry up, and then the best available water is going to be on private because a lot of those are cattle ranches up there. They're going to keep the water going on their private for their cattle well, the elk are going to go where the water are, where, where the water is. So, yes, it, they can be awesome, awesome hunts. And, yes, there's a lot of public ground. And, yes, there can be opportunities. Just people need to understand there's a, there's a good mix of ground. Same thing with Unit 10. So. Okay, so most all of that country's pinion juniper. And what I'm hearing, the reason that it is so good is that it does butt up to Utah and it butts up to the National Monument there. Um, 
so they they have sanctuary for sure and that's maybe why they get big plus in the actual units themselves they manage for yes there for you go. a trophy trophy quality bingo and, and that's the thing the the state of colorado has managed this particular portion of the state uh, as far as long as i can remember i mean this has been their premium area this is the area they said this is what this area is going to be it's they're managing for trophy quality you know unit one the criticism there uh you know you only have two archer tags so you have the entire unit to yourself which is awesome the problem with unit one is it is very dependent on what happens in 201 and it, it because on the north end you get some mixing across the river between 201 and one and then on the south and west side of the unit, it's dependent on what happens in Utah. And Utah does not necessarily manage that particular chunk of the country for trophy quality bulls. So a lot of times those bulls come out of Utah knowing that unit one is in Colorado is their sanctuary. So depending on the weather and depending on the year, that's the criticism of unit one. The elk are either there or they're not. I mean, it, and it very rarely is there is it in between. It, it, it's either you've got elk and, and you've got all the elk or you're struggling to find a single bull. So if you draw unit one, I really highly suggest people spread out their season to where they can, you know, tackle it across several, you know, say long weekends. I went there the first week and I did well. But that was because all the elk were in there, piled in there, and, and I had my pick of, of the bulls that I wanted to go after. But there have been some people that have struggled until towards the end of season, and then the bulls show up. And as far as bugling, once they show up, it probably gets pretty chaotic there that last 10 days just because awesome. now the gang's, the gang's all here type of thing. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's, it's, is, it, it, is it Arizona awesome? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would. Yep, absolutely. In, in some, you know, again, especially if you look at unit two, unit two is a big, big honking unit. Ten is a big unit. So, of course, just like any other unit, any other habitat, there are going to be pockets. Now, there's going to be elk scattered across it, but there's going to be pockets of activity. And if you get in some of those pockets of activity, I will absolutely tell you, yes, it's the same bugling fest that you'll see in unit nine, Arizona. I mean, it's just... Again, I've got a buddy that go. He comes out here deer hunting each year. Uh, he goes up there and he helps out some of the private ranches and or or just goes with buddies that he knows draws the tag and he just goes. And he, yeah, every year they're just in serious bugle fests all night long. Things are cranking, chasing bulls all day long. Yeah. Same thing with sixty one though. Sixty one. The only thing with sixty one, and like you said, you've been down there. It's an absolute bugle fest in most years, but now you're in you're in thicker cover. You've you've got to get in there and weasel them out. It's not as easy to sit in glass. I mean, you know, sixty one's got some good glassing country, but the habitat's so thick is you can hear them on the other side, but you just may not be able to see them because they're in the oak brush and pines. But yeah, they're cranked a lot of times. Would you say sixty one's better than forty? Or uh, I, you know. For the public land hunter, by far, absolutely. If if you have, I tell you what, if you want to hire an outfitter, if you want to hire, you know, and hunt on private property, you know, Unit 40, there's a couple good ranches. I don't have contact information for them, but I know that there's several ranches that, that run elk hunts, and they shoot some smokers out of Unit 40 
every year. Where's 40, roughly? It is straight southwest of Grand Junction, and it also butts up to the Utah border. I've a taxidermist friend of mine out of Clifton, Greg Brumfield, he pulls in bulls from Unit 40 every year, and I mean, goodness gracious, there's some giants coming out of there. But again, you're talking about private land, outfitted hunts. Unit 61, just a pile of good public ground in there that people can chase bulls until their heart's content. The thing I liked about 61 is they've got a little bit of everything. They've got some high country, but they've got a lot of that mid kind of oak brush and and, and that kind of country, but it's pretty thick. There's definitely areas that are thick in there of oak brush, but um, the elk definitely bugle, and I've had several friends that have had that tag and say, you know, it's just a scream fest. Yeah. Um, and then 76, I've been in there before, um, and it's mostly super high country, um, you know, all the way up, you know, 13,000 feet. Um, and, you know, those big high alpine basins, and, you know, you could have two, 300 elk out in front of you, you know, bugling like crazy out in the wide open, um, you know, 76 is definitely that kind of high country wilderness experience and it it, it seems as though the other units in the northwest corner they don't really have that high country experience like 76 does correct 76 is even higher than 61 correct yes yes yep it so it depends on what kind of experience what type of habitat you know folks want to want to chase them in that's the thing is i mean you know two two oh one ten you can get in some rugged country up there, but you're going to have a little bit easier go of it in many cases than you will in those mid-elevation canyon country of 61. And especially, you know, like you said, 76, I mean, you're talking about some, you can get up in elevation and into some of the backcountry stuff. 76 is known for just a pile of bulls. It's gotten better over these past several years as far as trophy quality, but I think the, the the vast majority of people I see smack an elk in 76 are shooting those 270 to 300 inch class bulls because there's just a pile of those and then there's a handful yeah. of decent bulls big bulls yeah I mean I I, I will uh, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that like 76 gets a lot of publicity but I think it's because there's a ton of public ground and it's yeah. that true wilderness hunt. Yep. But the reality is there's a ton of five points and there's a ton of, you know, 260 to 300 type bulls. I mean, shooting bulls over 300 in 76 is definitely uh definitely happens, but I I rarely see anything like much over like 340 like yeah. I mean Yep. Yep. Uh, Steve Winery's kid, Corey, shot a big bull there a few years back. I want to say it was like 370. Um, but it, you know, a, a lot of the high, high end, even on the muzzleloader hunts, are like high, high end or like three in the 340s. Yep. I agree with that wholeheartedly. But a ton of bulls, you know, from five points to, you know, 300 inch bulls. And, you know, when I was up there, one of the things. You know, if you go right during the middle of the rut, if you're a caller at all, one of the challenges is there's so many bulls that you, you know, you do, you call and you've got, you know, satellite bulls basically running you over. And so I think, like you said, guys that are used to hunting over the counter, 
hunts in Colorado and then they finally as a resident put in for 76 and they have a nice solid six that's you know a 296 which is a great bull come screaming in after five days because yeah. all they've had is five four by fives and raghorns coming in they finally a nice six and they shoot it yep absolutely and and again uh, again you know people think that I, we're ragging on them no i mean if you if, if that's the best bull that you've ever killed or if that's been it, it, the experience was so incredibly epic that you're like heck yeah i'm putting this animal on the ground i'll shake your hand all day long the only time i get critical is when people you know they, they put in they dump a pile of points and then they go up there and they only you know they they shoot a, a 270 a 280 class six by six and then they get done and then they complain about it it's like okay yeah. why you're the one who shot you're the one who pulled the trigger you're the one who shot him you're the one who put in for the tag. You know you know what you're getting into. Don't complain about it afterwards. If, you, if all you wanted was inches of bone, well, then stick it out and, and go for inches of bone. And if you have to eat a tag, you eat a tag. But if you just, I mean, some of those experiences, man, I'm telling you, yeah. I'll tell you right now, I, a 300-inch 6x6 comes in on any of these, whether we're talking over-the-counter units or some of these lower-point units, oh, my, it's hitting the, me. It's hitting the ground. It's it's taking a dirt nap and it's going it's going in my freezer. I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And 76 is just a, a great hunt for those people that want a bugle fest and they want that upper, you know, that that high country experience. I'm looking at the Go Hunt Insider and uh, for residents, unit 76 takes seven points. Okay. Uh, for non-resident for archery, it takes 13 uh well last year in 2016 it took 13 points for non-residents to be guaranteed a tag the interesting thing in unit 61 looking at the gohan insider 13 points as a resident archery yeah. uh guaranteed and 20 points as for a non-resident but that brings into play the hybrid draw what go. is the hybrid draw chris all right uh, and 61 jumped in these last few years on the number of preference points is taken uh, because there's a lot of people just getting really tired of hanging on to just a pile of, of points it's just like arizona anybody that's been wanting to put in for the northwest units i mean now they're taking 15 to 20 plus points but there's only a handful of tags. So if you have max points, if, or if you've got 17 points and it takes 20 points to draw, you're always behind. You're, you know, you're always chasing that tag. And so because it's a true preference point yes. system, in other words, not like Arizona, how they changed it to now 5% of the tags can go in a random pool. Well, Colorado's a true preference point system where you have to have that. They were. Yes, you they were. Okay. And that's the, and that is why that Colorado developed the hybrid draw system, okay? And my point being is so many people were getting sick and tired of waiting so long, they started going, okay, what's a good plan B? Well, 61 was a good plan B, and so a lot of high point people started putting in for 61, and that's why all of a sudden 61 has jumped. But what the state has done now, and I, and I can't remember what percentage of tags go to it, but if a unit takes 10 preference points or more for a resident to draw that tag then a portion of those tags are put into a drawing where if you have five preference points or more then you have a shot at pulling one of those premium tags so for instance 
if I'm looking in the, the regs right now, if you're looking at unit one, uh, if you're looking at, or that's for rifle, but if you're look, well, that surprises me. I'm surprised unit one isn't even just for uh, archery too, but regardless, unit one, unit two, unit 10, uh, 201, 61, okay, those units, now there's some other ones in there, but most of them are private land, but any of those units, they require more than 10 points for the, for the, for the pure straight draw. It's going to take more than 10 points for a resident to draw. There is a portion of those tags now that are set aside that you can put, if you have five points or more, you can be put, you can apply for those tags and they do another random draw and you might get lucky and actually pull that tag. So now it gives the lower point holders a chance, but unlike Arizona, Arizona made it to where anybody, so even with zero points, anybody has a chance at pulling a unit nine tag or a 10 tag or something like that. Colorado did not go that route because there were some people that said, no, you have to have some skin in the game. You have to have some equity in this deal. We, you know, we just don't want some Joe random Schmedley that has zero points pulling a 201 tag. But if you are willing to, you know, if you want a premium tag and you're willing to put in several years and you're willing to store your points, if you are, are going to save points and, and get five points and, and hang on to them, if you've put in for five years and you've got five preference points, okay, you've got some skin in the game, you have eligibility to draw a certain percentage of those tags it's only in the it's only in those units that are authorized by that hybrid draw hunt code so it's not all limited licenses it's only those top handful of uh hunt codes that that are eligible but now you have five points you might draw a unit 201 tag so are you saying that as a non-resident i have 17 points yep that I that I should put in for unit 201 as my first choice, and, and just because I didn't think I had any chance to draw it at all. Yeah, yeah. You're saying that I do. Yeah, yeah. You do. You're you're going to be in the hybrid draw pool. But yeah, absolutely. You absolutely can put in for that tag, and you might get drawn in that hybrid hybrid draw. Now, if you draw that tag, okay. Well, that's your first choice which means you purge your preference points. You you pulled your list A license, you pulled your first choice, boom, done. You're so they'll they'll cancel out your preference points, but you drew the stinking tag. So yeah, absolutely. Right. You have a chance to draw in 201 by putting in for first choice on that. And if you don't draw, you get another preference point. Okay. Um let's talk about we've talked about the upper end units let's talk about some of the mid-tier units that and and maybe explain what you're going to classify why you're going to classify them as mid-tier in my you know when you and i and, and others i remember you talking with other folks in arizona about mid-tier units you were kind of talking about mid-tier units based off of you know what the antler quality was or age class was in my for Colorado, I kind of change that a little bit. And when I say a mid-tier unit, I'm talking about preference points. So 
there are a pile of units across the state that are limited draw that for the average guy is going to take two, three, four, maybe five points to draw that tag. They don't take many preference points at all, but man, they can be absolutely incredible hunts because typically if they are limited draw and they take a few preference points to get there, they are managed for a little bit older age class uh, or, or a little bit higher bull to cow ratio. Uh, some of them, I mean, if I just sir, it, going top to bottom, north to south, if you go down along, you know, say unit 20, 38, 39, 391, 461, you know, 49, 48, 84, 85. I mean, a lot of those units that take you just a handful of points, man, they're, they can be an awesome hunt. I drew as a resident, I, I hunted unit 49 a few years back. Uh, people can watch that, um, on youtube but i you know i killed a decent bull in there but it was it was awesome it was a great hunt it's got i mean some of these units have everything from the highest to high country down to lower elevation stuff uh, it, it all depends on what you want to hunt but there's such a mix of units across the state that seriously and and seriously there's a lot of people that are that are in that no man's land they they might have say 17 point like you 17 they've got 17 points or they got 15 points or 12 points they're like goodness gracious it's too many points to dump on some of these lower point units but I, i'm still not drawing my high point units you've got some people that you know you might be sitting at eight nine points that are like you know what I, i'm not going to chase this this rabbit down and no well i'm just going to dump my points and i'm going to go to 49 i'm going to go to 48 i'm going to go to 501 i'm going to go to 84 i'm going to go to one of these units burn it only takes a couple points and every few years i'm going to have an awesome hunt so and and a lot of these units i mean you can pull some smoker bulls out of there but on average you're going to be looking at those 300 to maybe 320 class bulls as your upper end but goodness gracious I'll, I'll chase a 320 bull <laughs> all day long. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about mid-tier, you're starting to, t you're, what you're saying is bull, uh, units that you actually have a chance to draw with, you know, let's say four points or less. Yeah. But that, but that you're saying that those are managed for trophy quality, so they do have a little bit better quality than the over-the-counter units. They're, they're not. Yeah, they're, they're not saying that you're not still going to have you know quite a few people and what have you, but it's probably going to be better than just you know over-the-counter. Yeah, any any willy-nilly over-the-counter, just anybody goes. Yeah, they may not be managing it you know for trophy quality antlers or, or quality animals per se. They're just managing it for maybe a slightly higher quality experience. So there's fewer people turned loose in these areas and by default you have a little bit higher survivorship of your bull you know age classes so you have a little bit higher bull to cow ratio and by default you end up having a little bit more bugling activity you have more elk that you can run into and so you just have a little bit higher success rate of getting into elk and having a quality hunt experience through the season hmm. interesting so yeah, and, and and that's the thing is if you, if someone's listening to this and they're like, you know, 
I just started putting in for preference points, and, and I've got this idea of hunting two, two hundred one, ten. Okay, a lot, as, especially if a non-resident, you're talking more than twenty points, unless you draw, unless you build up to five, and then you just hope and pray that you draw one on the hybrid draw. But you could really be having some killer hunts every couple years if you just started looking at some of these other units that just don't require as many points uh, here's a great here's a great quote i talked to a buddy of mine this morning he's from the southwest part of the state and, and i think he nailed it he goes you know people need to stop letting the great ruin the good people are so you know focused on i, I want to have this great 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 experience and they and whatever they have in their mind is that you know as being great they just overlook the fact that, my gosh, there's a whole lot of really, really good out there. Enjoy it, you know. Take advantage of that and enjoy it. What do you think about the strategy? Um, I'm looking at the Go Hunt Insider here as you're talking, and I'm kind of thumbing through, and I, you know, I don't want to give all of the magic away, so to speak, but. From my understanding, I could apply for a preference point for my first choice, and I'm actually looking at the muzzleloader elk um, opportunities, and there's a handful of units here that are 100% draw that I could put in as my second choice and be hunting with the muzzleloader in the state of Colorado from the 10th through the 18th. I mean, there's like five, six different, maybe even more units here that it, correct me if I'm wrong. I could still get my preference point. I would draw my second choice and I'd be hunting the dates of the 10th through the 18th with the muzzleloader in the state of Colorado. That can't be all bad. No, it, yeah, no. If if you if you've got a unit that you want to hunt and it it's a guaranteed draw at zero points, you very well may be able to pull that on your second choice. So yeah, that I mean, if that's what you want to do, if you just have and quite honestly, this is what I would say: if you have zero to four preference points, then that's what you probably should do. Well, you can you can put in for a preference point. Well, let me see. The thing well, is, well, it, you you could put in for a preference point just to have a preference point for your first draw, first go. But quite honestly, you can also put in for you know any number of limited draw licenses and still pull a you know you're not going to draw it and you still get your preference point and then you'll draw right. your second tag. But if you so what you're saying is I could do archery, I could do muzzleloader. I just thought it was pretty interesting that there's opportunities here. Yeah. I mean, but I'm looking at the rifle too, and there's all sorts of oh yeah, you know, first rifle season opportunities as second choice. Yeah. And just to be clear, I mean, I've done podcasts with you know Clay Hill and Cliff Gray, and they're the ones that 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 told me about this. That you know, you can still keep your points, apply for points yes. on your first choice, and still elk hunt in the state of Colorado every year. You can yes. hunt with a bow, a muzzleloader, or a rifle. And oh, yeah. there's all kinds of opportunities where, you know, I've gone 17 years and never drawn a tag in Colorado because I always apply for, you know, the top the top units and, and or just do points because I am I know I'm always behind um, where I could have been, even if it was every couple of years going on an elk hunt in Colorado. And, and um, that to me, that 
that opens up a whole nother can of worms that, you know, is is a great opportunity for someone. Well, and that is when you're talking about just considering limited draw tags. You're completely forget. I mean, you're, we haven't even talked about the fact that Colorado is one of the few states that just has over the counter. You just you can put in for a preference if you know that I, I you know you just want a preference point and you're just going to go over the counter. Yeah, you just put in for your first choice. You know, it's a P nine 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 P code to get your preference point, and then just buy an over the counter tag, and you can hunt in elk every year in over the counter units. But what you're talking about, yeah, there's opportunities for limited license hunts that you can pull on a second choice, and still every couple of years still be, you know, or every year or every couple of years still be pulling a tag. But for those people that have five points. No, and unless you know, more. yeah, five, five or more, away. if unless you know you cannot hunt at that time, I, I don't see the benefit of putting in for preference points first. Go for it. Shoot for the fences. Oh, okay, so I, I, I guess I wasn't thinking clear enough. So what you're saying is go ahead and put in for a 201 yeah. or go ahead and put in for a 61. Swing for the fences oh, and oh, see if you yeah. can pull the hybrid draw. So just – so by – I, I guess I wasn't clear. I thought I had to do preference point first choice. What you're saying is no. swing for the fence on the first. Yeah. And if you don't draw that, yes. If if you don't win out in the hybrid draw, you still get your preference. Yes. Point. So you might as well apply for the yes. best couple of hunts in the state. Yes. You nailed it. Okay. If you I, if I'm you, you if you do not draw your first choice, regardless of what it is, you do not draw your first choice. They give you a preference point. If you draw your second choice, it doesn't matter. You do not burn your preference points, and you do not earn a preference point on your second choice. It's only your first choice that that affects your preference points. So if you swing for the fences and don't draw, who cares? You just gained a preference point, and you can still draw your second choice. Okay, makes total sense. And and I could also do that strategy and do antlerless hunts if I want. Oh, that's and that is. I think that is the prime way that that for people to do that. A lot of people will do that. They'll put in for a premier, you know, archery or muzzleloader hunt, a rut hunt uh, for the first choice. And if it doesn't happen, fine. I'll put in for a third season rifle cow tag. Done. You know, I I I'll go. I'll try to get a really premium tag. Doesn't work. I've got meat in the freezer with a cow tag. That's. That's good stuff. You had talked about um, over-the-counter opportunities, uh, and you know this episode we're, we're primarily talking about the draw. But let's talk a little bit about those over-the-counter opportunities. I mean, Colorado, in my mind, is you know the best state probably in the country for over-the-counter opportunities from a standpoint of you know obviously available tags, but also from the full you know high country, you know, awesome experience to, you know, if you, if you can get in and, you know, work your butt off, I mean, you've shot great bulls on over the counter, um, hunts, Chris. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and you've had great bugling. You've had, I mean, I, I know other guys too that, you know, they hunt every year OTC and they do great. Yeah. And that the thing that people need to realize is, um, number one people. Okay. If you, if you're, thinking about coming to Colorado as a non-resident, understand there are unlimited in certain, in the bulk of units across the state that are, you know, let's just say west of I-25, there's your elk units. 
I-25 runs north-south across essentially the middle part of the unit, or, or the middle part of the state. West of I-25 is mountainous generally. East is the plains. So the western half of the state, the vast majority of elk units are over-the-counter. And over-the-counter means it's unlimited. You just buy the tag. Go. Okay? That's a tremendous opportunity for anybody that wants to take advantage of it. But the flip side of that is it's a tremendous opportunity for anybody that wants to take advantage of it. So we have hunter pressure. Uh, You're not going to come to Colorado very rarely. Let's just put it this way. Very rarely are you going to go to Colorado and over-the-counter unit and get away from everybody and you know, hunt by yourself. It, you're very rarely going to happen. You're going to have company. That doesn't mean you can't have a high quality hunt experience. Some years you're covered up in people in certain drainages or certain areas of the state, you know, in certain areas get pounded more than others. But, you know, the opportunities are there for those that want to come, work for it, do their research, spend some time, learn it and work for it. You, you can have an incredible, incredible hunt every single year. What's the best bull you've killed size-wise on OTC? <laughs> uh, the biggest bull I've ever killed. Uh, he Unfortunately, he busted off his left main beam. But that was in 2002. If he was just a straight six that matched... His right side, he would have been 386. If he had been, uh, if he had thrown equal bone left and right, he would have been about 411. So that's kind of an anomaly, but that's my, yeah, he was over the counter. <laughs> he was, what's the what's the next? Uh, my bull from a couple years ago, 341. So. And, I mean, but, but you routinely see bulls over 300 almost every single year on your over-the-counter hunts. Yeah, most of the bulls that I choose, for me to pull the trigger on a bull anymore, he's got to be, he's probably in that 270, 280 up to about 310 is usually what I'm running into. Because you're like trying to kill a four, you know, four-year-old or Bingo, better, that's, right? that, that is exactly it. I, I try to find a four-year-old bull or better. Now the other, you know, a couple years ago, I, I was after a bull that was four years old. He was just a giant, just a giant five. I don't care. I, he was a four-year-old bull, and I would have smoked him. I just missed him. But yeah, so um, <laughs> I just yeah. missed him. Um, but but back to my, I I I want to go back to a lot of times when you're hunting over the counter, you've got guiding, you've got other things where you don't have just unlimited time. Yes year in and year out if you focused on over-the-counter colorado elk hunt archery do you feel like every single year if 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 you just hunted you know opener to close or you know let's say half of the month 15 out of the 30 days do you think it's very feasible to kill a six-point bull every single year if you know what you're doing I think you can have an opportunity at that every single year. Whether or not you actually put one on the ground, who I, you know, I, I, situations uh, are different. Like for instance, last year, I personally did. I, I had a week to hunt for myself. 
I did not kill a bull, but I had a bull, uh, non-typical, probably four or five-year-old bull, much better. He was probably pushing about a 300-inch bull. Um, he just was 30 yards. It was just so thick, I just couldn't get an arrow through it. But here it is. I mean, I found him. I called him in. He had cows. It just got tricky. He was thick. He stalled. The cows came in, swung around, got down one to me. The cows took off, and, and there he went. I just couldn't get an arrow through it. But I really, truly believe if someone takes the time and hunts smart, yes, absolutely. I think every single and, – and let's not even say six by six. Let's just be realistic and say you literally could come out here and, and every year get into a decent five by five or better. I really, truly believe it. I mean, residents that live there, I mean, that have the time to hunt, I mean, there's no reason that, that, you know, they shouldn't, you know, probably be able to kill a six-point bull every single year if they have good skills, right? I mean, it it just seems like that it's a target-rich environment, and, you know, during the week, there's way less hunting pressure, and, you know, it's a liberal season. It's 30 days long. I mean, that's one of the longest seasons in the Well, and now— and this may we actually may want to consider this for like a part two of you know discussion but i will say that colorado is changing okay just like what we've you and i've talked about and you and steve and some of the other guys that have hunted arizona for decades you guys have seen a change in arizona well in colorado we're starting to see a change as well when you look back to the mid 90s uh, that was back when we had, you know, 300 plus thousand elk in the state. We had the highest number of elk in any uh, of any state in in the elk range. And the Division of Wildlife or Colorado Parks and Wildlife now, they said that, you know, they made a policy change. And they said, we, you know, again, a, a buddy of mine I talked to this morning, Dick Ray, I love the guy to death. He goes, you know. We, we have seen the enemy and the enemy is elk and you know we need to kill the enemy and for about a decade and still to this day I, I'll, I'll touch on some of these units here in a minute but uh, the the agencies really identified that okay we need to reduce the population and so there are a pile of units throughout the interior part of the state that where people can actually buy two elk tags you can actually have two elk tags in your pocket in September. You can have an either sex or your bull tag, and you can also have an antlerless, a cow tag, in your pocket as well. So you literally, if you just want to fill the freezer, you can come out and say you you want a trophy hunt, but dang it, I want to fill the freezer. You could come out, if you've got the money, buy two elk tags, you have an antlerless in your pocket, and you have your either sex. You go out hunt, and the first cow that walks in, you put her on the ground. You just filled your freezer. Now, you've got the rest of the month to play and see if you can't go for a trophy set of antlers or an older age class animal. Okay, so the opportunities are incredible. But over this past decade or or now, we're probably pushing, you know, probably closer to 15 years now, we've pounded the bejeebas out of our elk and so there are places in the state where you know for a variety of reasons either the elk population is lower either it just pure numbers or you're going to find elk are holed up on some 
uh, more sanctuary areas more than they used to be. Uh, it, it's getting to be a little bit trickier in some areas, but the opportunities are still there if you want to work for it. It's just not like it used to be in the mid-90s where, goodness, God, it was stupid. You, you couldn't trip. You couldn't go in the woods and not trip over an elk. That has changed. That has definitely changed, especially in the southwest part of the state, especially some of these. Uh, you know, there's a variety of reasons, but, yeah, there, we have lower numbers than we had in the past, but Colorado still has the most elk of any other state in the western United States, so the opportunities are there. Where do you think, um, if you split the state up into you know four quarters, uh, northwest, northeast, southwest, southeast, w- what area do you think gets the most pressure um, on over-the-counter? If well, and and when you say state, I'm going to say the western half. Okay, so of the elk areas, what gets hammered the most? It's going to be a toss up between. I still am going to say uh, Craig Meeker rifle, rifle, uh, Steamboat, um, Rabbit Ears, all that northern Walden, that north central. Northern White River National Forest, Route National Forest, Arapahoe Route National Forest, that area, that north central part of the state, north of I-70, up to the Wyoming line, from and west of the of the Front Range, uh, you know, and then you know started, you know, like I say, you get over towards Rifle Craig. You know, when I worked, when I was a pro staffer for Primos back in the late '90s, and I was doing shows. One of the big shows we used to work was uh, the Cabela's store in Sydney, Nebraska. And they had a, a promotion or basically an event there that put themselves in between the first rifle season and the second rifle season of Colorado, which meant we cut people coming and going. If I talk to 100 people, and this is not an exaggeration, if I talk to 100 people coming through the door, 95 of them either were coming from or going to Colorado. Out of that 90, or out of that yeah, out of that 95, 90 of them were going to that upper central portion. It's crazy the number of people that hunt the White River National Forest, Route National Forest, and Arapahoe uh, Roosevelt National Forest. If there was a second area that gets hit hard, I think it would probably be in that Wymanooch southwestern portion of the state uh you get a lot of people from texas and new mexico coming up and hunting that just because it's it's close the central portion of the state is no slouch i mean it it gets hammered by its own fair share of people but by all by and large i think that northern central that north central tier just gets it, it it can see a lot of pressure but again we're talking that white river herd you're still dealing with the largest elk herd in the united states Is it is it safe to or, well is it wrong to think that the further and the you know the higher the further the you know the, the deeper you go the more you can get away from people or <laughs> argue with them? <laughs> yeah enter in the the discussion I had with a buddy of mine this morning um, we have a new breed of hunter these days. Uh, and you can see it all over social media. Heck, you and I have been criticized 
uh, about our you know criticism, if you will, uh, about the you know the hunter athlete or the extreme hunter or whatever you want to call it. the the people that are extremely physically fit and physically fit minded. Um, I, I like Cameron Haynes. I don't know Cameron Haynes personally. I like Cameron and what he does, but you know Cameron has that tagline of you know nobody cares, work harder. And there is a thread. Uh, there is a well, not a thread. It, it's a it's a rope of of hunters that that they are. They're very physically fit. Uh, we have better clothing this day, this day and age. We have better equipment. Our tents weigh ounces. You know, our sleeping shelters can be four season shelters and still weigh, you know, ounces rather than several pounds. Our cook, cook you know, all of our gear that we take into the backcountry now weighs a fraction of what it does or what it used to be. Our backpacks are much more comfortable. We've got more people in a, in a lot of these areas. You have more people in the backcountry than you do in some of these areas that are maybe a half mile or within a mile of the road. How many times have you ever, you know, we, we always heard it. If you want to find elk, you need to get more than a mile off the road. Uh, I'll tell you right now, there's some places and, and a lot of places in Colorado, especially when you, and I'm not a mule deer hunter, but we're not even talking about the mule deer hunting aspect. Mule deer hunting is so huge you'll actually run into, in many areas, you'll actually run into more people three, four, five miles back in than you actually will within a half mile of the trailhead. Uh, elk, elk know where they're safe. And yes, without a doubt, there are some interior mountain areas where if you want to pack in eight miles and get way back in there, by all means, you might be the only one in there and you might find some smoking elk country and, and a pile of elk in there. You're going to have to pack that sucker out. But the thing that I think a lot of people are overlooking is, you know, I, I always, this is this is my tagline, you know, hunt smarter. Since 2010, that's all I've been preaching is, is hunt smarter. I think a lot of people are doing themselves a disservice by just hiking to get back in rather than hiking to hunt where the elk are. And some people, I think, would do very well starting at the trailhead especially if you're just starting out and you're just learning an area hunt from the trailhead and work your way until you run into elk you might be surprised to find that you run into elk a half mile from the trailhead i thought you were gonna say that well i mean just it's the reality i i hate to say it because that's the i mean that's the case i mean typically you know some of the areas where i worked on the elk study are a, a long way back in and they're up in the upper basins and we used to find two, three hundred head of cows and calves and, and a bunch of bulls and, and they would stay up there into the whole summer and they'd be up there hanging out just happy as can be until the weather pushed them out. Now, I saw it in my high country camp. I'll be, I'll, first to tell you, I've been spoiled. I've hunted my high country camp now, oh, I think probably, I'm guessing, just roughly maybe 2008, but 2009, something like that. But anyway, or, or after that. But I've had the pleasure of hunting my high country camp and very rarely ever seeing a person. Well, that changed these past couple years. Now, I've got multiple groups hiking the ridges, hiking the valley. I mean, they just push the elk completely right out to where my high country camp now is not what it used to be. The elk are gone. They're just not there anymore. 
And so I'm I'm forced with this you know the scenario of okay I've got to I've got to find a new primary area because the hunting pressure has increased to the point where the elk have shifted they've moved. So elk are smart man. That, I mean they are smart and, and I, again we can talk I could talk a long time about this because um, it, it dovetails in with with us pounding the bejeebas out of all these cow hunts. I mean they've the division of wildlife wanted to reduce cow numbers and so they opened up all these cow tags. Well, people find where the easy cows are and they kill all these easy cows. The cows that survive or those cows that know where to get away from danger. Well, cows give birth to a cow calf. That cow calf is going to follow its mom across its home range for a full year or more, or it might stay its entire life with its mother. Well, it's going to learn where those safety areas are, those sanctuary areas are. And then when it has a calf, if it's a cow calf, that little cow calf is going to follow its mother and its grandmother back to these areas. Well, there's these pockets of sanctuary areas where they never get touched. Maybe it's private. Maybe it's a, a, a well, like for instance, the Northwest, you've got a, a national monument that doesn't allow hunting. Maybe it's private property. Maybe it's a different unit, whatever. They've got these sanctuary areas where they know whatever hole they crawl into, that they know that they can get away from people. And all of a sudden, now things get really, really tough to weasel out where these elk are. I mean, there's uh, there's so many things that, I mean, we've got weather we could talk about. We've got the habitat changes we could talk about. The, the hunting in Colorado is definitely becoming more challenging for more people. And it's just because elk are really, really smart and they know how to avoid people. And in the, sometimes they avoid people by going where people just walk right by. Yep. I hear you. Makes perfect sense. I mean, they're... They learn where to go, and um, you know, if those high alpine basins where they're very visible, where they, you know, had a free run of it for years, and now, you know, guys are more fit and can can last in there longer because better gear, um, you know, they're forced to go somewhere. I, I wonder if if the the hunting on private property has gotten that much better because of the guys hiking all over the world and being able to stay in the backcountry longer i wonder it'd be curious to see if the private land hunting you know if, if guys are reporting that these elk are just flocking onto the private well we know that's the case in some properties because it has been a point of consternation uh for for if you look at colorado and a regulatory and a policy standpoint colorado also provides landowner vouchers okay so if you are a landowner this is a big discussion but if you're a landowner if you meet certain requirements or criteria you can get essentially a guaranteed tag all right in the past the problem was is that guaranteed tag was transferable and it was open unit wide well, what some of these landowners learned was, well, geez, oh, Pete, I, I've got, say, 5,000 acres. I can pull a handful of these landowner vouchers. I'm not going to let anybody hunt my property, but I'm going to sell these landowner vouchers and let people hunt on the public. Well, now you just increase the number of people that are on the public, and those public land hunters that are already in there are seeing all the elk on the private, and then all of a sudden, well, it, it became this huge mess. So part of that discussion became... What is it? What's going on actually on these private parcels? Well, one of the big things is these private properties became gigantic sanctuaries, 
And even if they hunted, you know, say a ranch hunted the property, you know, most ranches are going to hunt it very sparingly and they're not going to create a lot of disturbance. You know, you might only have one, two, three, four guys and gals in their hunting. There's no disper- no real disturbance. And so the elk never left. And so, yeah, there was in some of these units, I'll tell you right now, you can watch them. Again, my high country uh, camp is butts up next to, there's a very easy access down the valley to a very large chunk of private property. August, usually it used to be like September 1st through the 5th. Somewhere in there, the elk are just going to drop down, they're going to hit in the private, and they're just not going to come back out. You can literally sit across the fence and just watch hundreds of elk run around, big bulls, chasing cows. It's like the Serengeti, and you you just nothing you can do about it because they only hunt a handful of people in there. Now, the elk have learned they're leaving their end of August. they're, They're dropping down before hunting season even begins. They're on the private. They're not coming out. So, yeah, private hunting has definitely gotten better in a lot of these areas. From what I've understood, too, with the landowner voucher system, there still is unit-wide permits yeah. that are available, but then there's landowner or, or private land-only tags yeah. where you get a landowner tag, but you can't hunt the public. You have to only hunt the Correct. private. That, and that was a change. It was not... Uh, it was not as significant as a lot of the public land hunters wanted. There was a lot of people that wanted all landowner vouchers to be land specific, private land, or, or just at the very, and this is kind of my philosophy, or just make it private land only. You know what I mean? Don't turn it into a public land scenario, but you know, the, the cattlemen and farm bureau and, you know, the private land lobbies are, are pretty powerful. So it was a compromise. And so some of those landowner vouchers are transferable and you and open unit wide. Other landowner vouchers are specifically for the property that the land was or the, the voucher was issued for or private property. So, yeah, it's a it's a compromise now. Chris, I want to take a second here to uh, thank the sponsors of my podcast, uh, Go Hunt Insider. Lorenzo Sartini and his crew have been a strong supporter of my podcast since the beginning. And uh, you can use the J Scott promo code when signing up for the Insider, and that's going to get you a $50 Kuyu gift card. All you have to do is use the J Scott promo code. Uh, one of the things that I really like about the Insider is every single month, uh, all you have to do is be to be a winner is be an Insider member, and they're giving away great gear. You know, boots, you know, sleeping bags, uh, tents, uh, doll sheep hunts, uh, pronghorn antelope hunts, uh, elk hunts, all sorts of different hunts. Uh, So not only is it an unbelievable resource to look up harvest statistics and draw odds, um, and they have really good strategy articles for each state. Uh, Colorado, they actually just launched the Colorado deer uh, strategy article. Uh, but it's, it's, it's just a great resource and they give away, uh, prizes to their insider members. So I want to give them a big shout out. Uh, also Kuyu.com, Jason Harrison and his crew. I got to spend last week in California and had a, had a great time meeting all of his staff. And we're going to be having some, uh, cool promotions with Kuyu, uh, phonescope.com. If you use the J Scott 16 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount on all products at Phonescope. And then the Outdoorsman's, Cody Nelson and his crew there in Phoenix, Arizona, 
the Optics Authority 10% discount if you use the J. Scott promo code. You can check all this out in the show notes, guys. Uh, but without them and without you guys, the listeners, this podcast wouldn't be possible. And uh, I just want to thank uh, the sponsors and thank the listeners. Chris, um, I, I, I want to we've, – we've covered a bunch of ground on this, this Colorado draw. I, I kind of want to ask you fast about um, sheep. You actually drew, I believe, a sheep tag in Colorado. Um, and you also harvested, I believe, a mule deer, like a, a pretty darn big mule deer with your bow. Was that on an OTC uh, with your bow, or was that limited entry with your bow for mule deer? Well, it, mine was limited draw because pre- all mule deer tags in the state of Colorado are draw now. Yeah, I, I apologize. So, yes, but, but it was on a low point unit. I only burned... Uh, I, I, Jay, I don't remember, I, but it was just a couple points. I, I was that a buck that you had seen and knew about, and so you put in for it the next year. Uh, yeah. If 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 folks want to watch it, it's on. If, if they go to my YouTube channel, they can. I've got the whole video on there to watch it. Long story short, is it was in my high country elk camp, and the year before, I'm sitting in my tent. I'm not a big mule deer guy. I I love looking at big mule deer. But I'll walk right straight past a big muley to go after a 280 class 6x6. I don't care. I I love elk. So when I'm sitting, but again, you see a big mule deer, you kind of take notice. And so I'm literally sitting in my camp during midday. I sit up and I look on the ridge above me and there all you see is just antlers. And I put the binoculars on them and I mean these things are giants. I mean giant box and i was like oh my that got my attention so the next year i gambled and i said you know what i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna put in i'm gonna get my you know put burn my points i'm gonna try to draw this tag and see if i can come in well sure enough i drew the tag go back in well yes elk were on my radar screen and that's what i was gonna hunt but there was this one buck this one non-typical that was just an absolute giant that i was like man if I can find that buck again, that's the one I want. Well, after a couple days of elk hunting, all of a sudden, my buddy and I, we walk over the hill, and this 200-plus-inch non-typical muley is feeding out in the broad daylight like 300 yards from camp. And so me, being a rookie, I go down there. Well, it was him and I, hand signals, we hadn't practiced, blah, 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 miscommunication. I walked up and I actually bumped this buck and blew him down into the timber and literally just like in, in a lot of you big mule deer fanatics, you get one opportunity sometimes and that's it. And sure enough, this buck blew out of there and was gone. And so I spent the next, I don't know, week, two weeks or whatever it was. A couple, I mean, I, I spent some time then, had to leave for meetings, came back. Looking for that deer, looking for that deer, couldn't find him. Well, one day peeked up over another ridge into a, an adjacent basin, and found my buck that had a you know a couple other smokers with it. And and my original plan was to you know put him to bed, come back the next day and make a play for it. But as luck would have it, all of a sudden I sit there and watch where they're feeding. And I mean the situation was too perfect. I bombed in after him and and just made it best shot I've ever made on any animal. Just just smoked him. He ended up being mid-190s, 
So yeah, he's Velvet Buck. It's it's awesome. The whole thing's on video. You can watch it on YouTube. It's awesome. That's at Row Hunting Resources. Yeah, yeah. If you just go to, to yep YouTube, just look up the Row Hunting Resources. It's the High Country, you know, hunting High Country mule deer or something like that. Uh, yeah, it's the only mule deer video I've got in, on my playlist. So yeah, <laughs> and then the big and then didn't you draw a sheep? Yeah, tent? you know, one thing about Colorado, we have a very diverse. Colorado has a very diverse population of sheep. Some from the high alpine all the way down into some low canyon country. I drew that tag, I think, if I remember right, it was like 2004, maybe, 2003, 2004. Um, I just, on a whim, Colorado requires you to have minimum three preference points before you're even eligible to draw a tag. So you have to build three, and then your fourth year, you're eligible to draw. However, there are people that have put in 40 years and never drawn a tag. Well, I lived outside of Colorado Springs, just outside of Colorado Springs, there is the Rampart Herd, S34, low canyon country sheep unit. Great rams in there, or used to be some great rams in there, but it was literally five minutes out my back door. So I, the first year that I was eligible to, eligible to draw, I figured, I, I don't know anything about sheep. I'm going to put it, I'll put in for the, the unit right next to, you know, right at my back door. Eh, we'll see. I, I drew the tag. So... It ended up, it worked out. I got a real smoker of a ram. If I mean, he had unfortunately broomed off and sloughed off a big chunk of his left horn, which killed my last measurement. But every other measurement was identical. So if he had been normal, and in previous pictures, if you looked at him over years, he would have been about a 182 ram. So, yeah. Wow. So, but I hunted. Now, at that time, that season was a month long. And it was in August, and I hunted literally every single day. This is where, again, sheep are just the same. And in this particular, I have video of my ram with all his other buddies literally betting on some residential house's back concrete patio. They were down in town eating the irrigated bluegrass of some guy's yard, and, I mean, they spent the entire the entire season in city limits i couldn't go after him i couldn't chase him all of a sudden i'd kind of given up uh there was a u hunter in there i decided to go up there I, I think it was like the second to last day or last day of season i decided to go up to help the u hunter and literally in my binoculars while i'm watching the u hunter all of a sudden i see a, a band of rams all of a sudden pop up on the public and i'm like and it took me a minute i was like oh oh my gosh there there's a rams and and they're on public I just, it was just a mad scramble off that vantage point, and lo and behold, one of the rams was one of the ones I had an eyeball on, and it came together, man. I was lucky, and then the next year after that, I put in for a U-tag in the same unit and drew the U-tag. <laughs> yeah, did? I drew the U-tag. I was the only person to put in for the U-tag in there, so I, and I smoked an 18 or 19-year-old u She's just a giant. The, the, again, the, the taxidermist buddy of mine, he had to use a large ram form just to fit her cape. She was just a monster. So I've got a beautiful, beautiful ram and a beautiful you out of the same unit back to back years. And I stopped putting. I, I, I stopped incredible. putting in for sheep after that. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> 
That is unbelievable. And then I drew my goat tag like three years after that, so people were like, you got to be. I, that's why I told them, I said, I'll never draw a moose tag now. I, I've already burned my luck. Where'd you get your goat tag? Uh, G17, Mount Massive, that whole area. It was the first year, and this is the thing, too. I, I kind of took advantage of a, a gamble. It was the first year that they opened up this uh, goat unit. It was a suppression hunt. It was an area that they did not want the goats to move into. And so they wanted to just wipe them out. And so it was the first year they opened it up to, you know, organized hunting. And, uh, yeah, that was a that was a lesson. I had I found two absolute world-class giants, went up there, made some mistakes. I got a great, a great, a great billy with a buddy of mine. Uh, but then our activity shooting my buddy's goat sent my two goats that I wanted up and out and out of the unit and gone out of my life forever and so i at the towards the end of the season i finally pulled the trigger on i used just a four-year-old billy uh eight and a half inch i mean just a good represent great hair just a young young billy but just a just a pretty goat but yeah i was that that's that's what i love goat hunting i i don't if i hunt sheep again i would love to do it down in that canyon country but i could take or leave sheep hunting i really could goats mountain goats Oh yeah, I if I did you know Darren? Yes, I did know that. Yo, yes, I do, dude. Dude, that's it's the the country that they live in, the habitat they live in is just incredible. You are on the top of the world. I killed my goat, no joke, at thirteen eight off of Mount Massive, off the east side of Mount Massive, thirteen eight. It was, it's, it's incredible. You, it, it's just, it's, it's awesome, dude. You're going to have fun. Did you shoot it with a bow no. or a rifle? My original goal was to go in after a bow. Um, but by the time the end of the season, my end of the season is when the winter started kicking in. And so when I finally shot my goat, we had just brutal wind, brutal snow. And I just, I finally just took the rifle. Cause it, it, with that, it was any method. Um, so I just, that last day, we knew where the goats were up there. I said, "All right, I gotta go. I'm just gonna take the rifle." And it's a good thing I did because there was just it was there was no way. I mean, it, the wind was just brutal. There's no way you'd ever function up there with a bow. So, yeah. Gotcha. That's. Uh, I can't wait to go. Uh, Dar and I are getting more and more pumped, and uh, I've uh, been getting ready physically since I got back from the elk hunt uh, October 1st, or elk season. I've been uh, doing four to six mile trail running every day, and um, I, I, I now can say that I have missed three days. I missed uh, New Year's Eve, uh, or excuse me, Christmas Eve, Christmas, and uh, a couple weeks ago I had to miss a day, but literally I haven't missed a day. Were you slacking? Uh, or har- hardly any days, and uh, <laughs> uh, I just had a schedule conflict, and and it just didn't get done that day. And it's starting to get so hot here, you know, I just didn't get it done. But uh, yeah, I'm down to 173 pounds. Jeez. And I, I never I never started doing this thinking, you know, I want to lose weight or anything like that. It was just more of a function of. I, I, I want to go into coos deer season and sheep season, which, you know, this last, you know, season, the last several months, you know, at, at absolute tip top shape and then drawing this goat tag, you know, I've just kept it going. And, you know, Colorado after Turkey season, once I get to Colorado, I'll have the perfect training grounds there to um, 
really work with my pack yeah. and and you know carry heavy loads and and be ready for that but you know i've got that northwest territories doll sheep hunt for 18 so my wife's like well i know you'll be in shape at least for two years and yeah. um it's actually been fun it's it's finally gotten where uh you know i i just get up in the morning and go do it and feel really good um yeah i, I, feel, I feel really good yeah i'm not there yet <laughs> no, no shirtless selfies no shirtless selfies from this kid but uh yeah it's uh it's fun being in really good shape. You know, I'm 44 and I would venture to bet that I could beat my 24 year old self up most hills. Nice. Now. Nice. So, yeah. Well, Hey, cool. I, I know uh, we've I, just two seconds here. I know we've run long, but I, I, we've got to touch on this and I'll try to make it brief, but I know that people are asking about this or are listening, waiting about the weather about what, what's been going on this winter in Colorado. Because there's if you're on social media, you'll, be, you'll hear people talking about, you know, oh, they're feeding deer and elk in the Gunnison Basin. And, you know, you'll hear the press release saying, oh, they, they just closed down shed antler hunting in the Northwest. You know, oh, my gosh, the, you know, the, the winter is just brutal and it's, it's killing Colorado. We're, we're having die-offs. Well, yes and no. If you're talking about the Gunnison Valley, Gunnison Basin, all right. Yeah, they, there's no two ways about it. They, they're losing mule deer. They're using. They're losing fawns. They're losing calves. Uh, it, it's it's taking a toll. The the weather up there has just been brutal. January was was a nightmare, uh, and it's still not great, but it's getting better. So if you're hunting around the Gunnison Basin, that you you really think twice about whether you want to draw a tag in the Gunnison Basin this year. Uh, you, there's going to be winter kill. And then even the, the animals that survive, you're going to have some suppressed body condition to where antler growth and even maybe just body condition themselves may not be the greatest. Uh, in the Northwest, here we talked about all the, you know, Unit 1, 2, 201, 10, all that up in the Northwest. Well, same thing goes. They're getting pounded with snow up there. So the winter impact is is significant, even right now. Um and enough to where the DOW has, has shut down all antler collecting until at least the middle of April. So, again, for those people that are thinking about burning their points in the northwest part of the state this year, maybe you consider just holding a year and, and see what happens up there. Um, because it, it has definitely gotten hit. With that being said, there are plenty of places that in January... Yeah, we had nearly 200% snowpack, and, and it was tough in January. But if your area that you normally hunt or that you're looking to go hunt has some lower elevation valleys, has some steeper south-facing slopes or southwest-facing slopes, if it has decent winter range and it has places where the elk can get out of that snow and move out, see, that's the thing with the Gunnison Valley, the Gunnison Basin. It's a basin. They can only drop so much before they have to start climbing back up out of it. So they're trapped. But most of the areas in the interior part of the mountains are not that way. There are winter ranges, and then there's critical winter ranges, and those animals can continue to drop. Yes, it was bad in January, but as I look right now at the at the snowpack and the and the the, the snowtail data, and I in talking with friends around the state, a lot of places 
the snow is turned off. It stopped snowing in February, and now it's just getting warm. And it, it, most of the south-facing slopes, west-facing slopes are burned off. They're turning green. So things have, have definitely shaped up. So if you normally hunt an area that has the ability for those animals to get down and out into low country, my guess is, is most of them are going to be fine. We had a lot of rain last fall that created a heck of a lot of food and forage and feed going into the winter. Their body condition was great going into the winter. So yeah, January was tough, but this spring so far has been pretty mild. And so we'll see what ends up going on in April and the rest of this month, you know, March and then into April. But if it stays mild, I don't think we're going to see it's it's not statewide. It's not like we've got mass die-offs or we're you know major feeding programs going on across the state. It's not. It's just in isolated locations. So really, do your you know if you're putting in for your tags and you're wanting to burn tag you know burn preference points, definitely research your area and make sure you know what you're getting into. Most areas are probably going to be fine. Some areas, Gunnison, northwest part of the state, they definitely got hit. It's good stuff to bring up. I'm glad you did, uh, for sure. Did you know um, Dara and I are doing a turkey hunting seminar on March 21st, which is tomorrow night in Phoenix? Yeah, you guys do that all uh, uh, every year for Desert Christian Archers, right? Yeah, Desert Christian Archers and NWTF, and they're expecting a big crowd. We were kind of over there today, kind of running through the PowerPoint presentation, and getting all the audiovisual stuff all set up and um yeah i'm excited about that i'm going to try uh and have the seminar on facebook live i've never done a facebook live so we'll see how that goes but i'm gonna try and have someone run my phone kind of while while we do it but i want to encourage anybody out there listening uh you can uh, well let's back up we're doing a seminar dark colburn and myself are doing a seminar it's at calvary church uh that church is um let's desert christian archers uh you know do their seminars there which is awesome and it is on the west side of i-17 uh it is between cactus and thunderbird on the west side there uh doors open at six they're asking the it's free admission but brings a couple cans of non-perishable food items if you can some canned food uh they give that away uh and to homeless shelters and such and uh we're going to be doing a video presentation for about 25 or 30 minutes have a bunch of different videos and then we're going to do a question and answer session uh afterwards also they are raffling off a Gould's turkey hunt uh, with Colburn and Scott Outfitters and Gould'sTurkeyHunt.com are are kind of our sister companies. Uh, the Gould's turkey hunt in Sonora, Mexico. They're raffling off a hunt. So if you're interested, ten dollars a ticket. You can buy as many tickets as you want. You can go to DesertChristianArchers.org. And buy tickets. You don't have to be present to win. And we're also going to be selling them at the uh, 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 seminar tomorrow. And then at the end of the seminar, we're going to be drawing uh, for the winner. And that is for a 2018 hunt. If I have availability and can squeeze that hunter in in 17, uh, 
that's that's a possibility. You don't have to be present to win. So if mm. you're if you're interested in a Gould's turkey hunt for ten bucks, you can you can be the uh, lucky winner and get your name drawn. Uh, and so I just want to encourage people to uh, go to DesertChristianArchers.org and buy raffle tickets. Uh, get a hold of me. Um, I'm going to be there, obviously. Any listeners, uh, if you're going to be there at the seminar, make sure to look me up uh, either before the seminar or after. I want to uh, greet all of you guys and, and say hi. And um, it's going to be a fun time. Uh, Chris, uh, after that, the next day, the following day, I'm actually going to Texas. Uh, going to hunt Rio Grande turkeys, uh, actually taking my bow and arrow and um do some turkey hunting at, at several different properties there nice and so i'm kind of excited uh about that and then uh you actually are coming down this year for our gould's turkey hunts going to be with us uh the whole time down in mexico for gould's turkey yeah. and um we're excited <laughs> about that i think we're going to get some great video i think we'll be able to do some great podcasts and are you excited about coming down for the Gould's Turkey? Oh, yeah. that's. I mean, yeah. I, you, you look, you watch, anybody watches your videos. The, the cool thing about Gould's down there, I, they just talk. I it just, and that's the thing is, you know, we, you know, I've, I've got the website and stuff and I, I do a lot of turkey stuff with it. But, you know, out here in Kansas, man, I could spend weeks camped underneath a roost tree with hens in the spring and barely get a you know you, you'll get a few yelps here or there i mean the hens at least where i'm at they just don't talk that much oh you'll get birds to gobble that's fine the hens just don't talk that much down there goodness gracious those ladies just don't want to shut up so i'm i am i'm really looking forward to getting down there and start playing with them and it sounds like you've got a good mix of hunters coming in and and so no i i think it's gonna be a blast i think it's gonna be a blast yeah, we're gonna we're gonna shoot a bunch of birds and have a good time. Um, we're we've got a few spots left for 2017. If you're interested, uh, you can send me an email at jscottoutdoors@gmail.com. Send me a direct message on Instagram or through my Facebook page. Um, we're already booking for 2018, and um, we've got a lot of spots available for 2018, but we have already taken. A uh, bunch of bookings as well. So I've got dates for 18. If anybody's interested, uh, they are phenomenal hunts. Uh, just super interactive birds. The birds love to gobble. They love to strut. The hens are very uh, interactive, very talkative, very mouthy. Um, you can get real mouthy back to the hens. And these are birds that you know nobody calls to these birds um, other than us. Uh, you know, and, and so they don't see any pressure. And so, you know, they act like a turkey should, so to speak. Um, in my opinion, you know, they just, they just act like a turkey. And as long as you sit still and have, you know, fairly decent camo pattern and, you know, don't move, um, you know, you can, you can get them to come, you know, five, six, seven yards from you. We've got a lot of great video at, you know, point blank range, just yakking in our face. So it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm excited to have you down there to, get to see it because it's just uh you know as i go through gould's turkey footage from years past it just kind of blows me away of of you know how good it actually is well and, and the funny part is is too is i know one of the hunters that that booked with you and i mean he's just he's just jazzed he's like oh my gosh chris Rowe, j scott i'm gonna be i'm gonna be down. I'm, I'm like dude 
we sound way sexier on the podcast than, than maybe we are. <laughs> but no, I think it's just it's uh, just gonna be a fun time. You know what I mean? I mean, just yeah, yeah we're, I, I, I'm not. We're gonna slay birds. I mean, there there's gonna be death and carnage. I, I'm just gonna tell you that. But feathers, feathers and up. there's there will be death, but. It's going to be the f- most fun kind. It's it's just it's it's just going to be a good trip. I I'm I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, I think we've got upper 30s, close to 40 birds to harvest, and um, so it should be a a great season. I'm looking forward to it, and uh, it'll be fun to get you down there. So uh, we'll have a lot to talk about. We'll probably be able to do some great podcast on location from Mexico, and so I'm looking forward to that. I want to thank you for. Uh, spending time with us today yeah, uh, and sharing your knowledge on Colorado and all the, you know, you've, you've just done so much in that state and you do so many seminars and you've just got to, uh, you know, you've shared your knowledge with a lot of people. And then the row hunting resources, you know, I get uh, lots of people uh, responding to some of our prior uh, podcasts and just how much they love row hunting resources. I want to, I want to end by giving you a chance to let people know how they can uh, reach you, how they can find you and what have you. Yeah. I'm, we're all over social media and the website is everything is row hunting resources. So, you know, the website row R O E hunting com, And we've got the educational stuff there by far the, the biggest chunk of the educational stuff we have there is elk related. I definitely encourage people to check that out. We're adding stuff constantly and I've got a bunch, a pile of stuff to add this summer. Um, and then, you know, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all under row hunting resources. So check us out, follow us on. Yeah. And most of the stuff that I do on social media is through Instagram. I'll do a little bit of, of unique stuff on Facebook, but most of it is going to be tagged, uh, through, uh, Instagram. So definitely jump on there, row hunting resources, Instagram, and give us, give it a follow. Uh, but yeah, and uh, you know, I've always done it and, and we continue to do it. We, I, I love to support you, Jay. I appreciate all the support that you've given us, but more importantly, we've got a very similar philosophy and I love the educational component that you do in your podcast. So anybody that wants to sign up, any new subscribers that want to sign up to the row hunting resources website, just enter in the J Scott podcast, uh, kind of coupon code or promo code and it'll knock 20% off of your subscription price. So it's a good deal. Yes, it is a good deal. Well, Chris, uh, thank you so much and uh, looking forward to the spring and looking forward to the first uh, turkey goblin here. And uh, I've got, you know, the Rios in Texas and I've got some Merriams here in Arizona and then it's all Goulds after that. So uh, pretty excited. Uh, Love this time of year and encourage anybody listening. If you're anywhere around the Phoenix area around Tuesday, the 21st of March, uh, which is tomorrow night. Uh, come by and uh, would love to see you at the seminar and uh, just excited to see who's going to be the hunt winner. And if you want to buy raffle tickets, make sure to go to desertchristianarchers.org. And uh, Chris, I'll see you down the road here soon. And uh, God bless and thanks for sharing. All right, brother. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Be safe and uh, look forward to talking to you shortly. Okay, sounds good. Oh, and I want to tell the listeners, um, you could do me a huge favor if you haven't already on iTunes. If you love the podcast, which I get emails every day from people saying they like and they love the podcast. If that's you, please go on iTunes. Please leave me a review. 
you know, make it a fair review. I'm fine with that. Uh, don't don't need to sugarcoat it. But uh, you know, if if you feel like it's a five star review, give me a five star uh, and uh, leave some positive comments. If you if you like what you hear, that helps our placement on iTunes, and that's. Uh, you know, I get people asking me what, you know, Jay, what, what can we do for you? I'm telling you guys, please, uh, do that. That would be huge for me to leave reviews. It helps our placement there on iTunes. So thanks guys. Thanks, Chris. And, uh, we'll be seeing you soon. All right, man.